Thriving in Singleness, Episode 8. This is the Thriving in Singleness podcast, where it's not about surviving, but thriving in this chapter of your life. Here's your host, Tom DeLong. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thriving in Singleness. Today we have Bobby Godfrey. Bobby, how you doing today? I'm doing really well, Tom. Thanks for having me. Dude, hey, so excited to have you. And um, could could you re- refresh me on how we met? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, pretty typical. We met at a coffee shop, I guess you'd say. Oh, yeah. um, but it wasn't by chance. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I want you to meet this super cool friend of mine. Um, what had happened was you took my sister out to California and my sister didn't tell anybody about this. And I, I mean, push come to shove. I kind of deduced what had happened that she had flown across the country with this basic stranger, a complete stranger to me. And so I was like, this is like the most inappropriate thing I've ever heard of. Like, I don't know who this guy is. (laughs) What did he do to my sister when he was out in Los Angeles? And so after having a long conversation with my sister, she wanted me to meet you. And so, you know, as a good big brother does, he sits down with a man who's interested in in his sister and uh, just wants to have a conversation. And it wasn't like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, really, really glad that you're here. Uh, it was like, who are you? You better talk. You right were ready now. to destroy me. <laughs> I knew that if I said one wrong thing, that you were going to level me. You were working at a prison at the time. You were so balked, and yeah, you were you were ready. I think you kind of wanted to take me down. I think you were ready for that, and and you were ready to do that if you needed to. But you know. I, I remember just expressing how thankful I was that uh, Larissa had a brother that cared for her so much that was having that concern and wanted to meet me and and have the conversation on hey what's what's going on here so that was that was really fun and by the end of that conversation I mean we were we were like you know hit it right off the bat we were friends and that was really cool so I, I really appreciate you being a being an awesome brother-in-law so yeah and I I mean. I came in kind of guns a blazing on that conversation and I think there could be a tendency for, you know, brothers to try to put on this front of like, you know, you better be minding your P's and Q's and, and I I think it was, it wasn't even so much that so much as like, I just felt like there was like a violation at that point. Like there was a breach of trust. Like, I don't know who this person Mm -hmm. is. My sister wouldn't answer me when I like, the reason I kind of found out about this was I was never a social media guy in the first place, but I happened to be on Facebook and I saw this thing where Rosa had posted that she had run into Owen Wilson. And I was like, now listen here, Owen Wilson is not in Lancaster. <laughs> and so I got thinking about it and I texted her and she wouldn't answer me. Like, I was like, so you saw Owen Wilson in Lancaster, huh? And she was like, yeah, cool story, basically, and kind of left it hanging. She wouldn't answer any more of my questions. And so I started like, okay, I'm going to, I got to do some like recon here. Found out, you know, through social media, like basically what had happened and then confronted you about it just because I was like, dude, like it just didn't seem appropriate, right? You didn't talk to my parents. You didn't 
talk to your parents. You didn't tell, it didn't seem like anybody knew. And so like the worst comes to your mind, you know what I mean? And so, oh, oh, absolutely. And so when I was able to just, you know, be point blank with you, like, Hey, I wasn't really okay with this. You know, she's my sister and sure. A lot of people were like, you're overprotective and she's her own woman and stuff like that. But I mean, quite honestly, we live in a world where just anything can happen, you know? And mm-hmm. And so after having a good conversation with you and you really kind of showing your cards for what they were, which is, Hey man, I was on the up and up. We, you just like laid it all out. You didn't hide anything. And I was just like, Hey, this guy's pretty honest actually. And I feel real comfortable. And so like, if, like you said, if I had felt like you were keeping anything back, I probably would have hauled off and punched you right there in front of everybody at the coffee shop. And I'd been like, Larissa, we're out. Bye. Yep. No (laughs) doubt about that whatsoever. But, oh man, that was, that was such a fun start to our relationship. We've been on countless, countless adventures together. And you were part of, uh, episode two, the fake elopement story. You were my (laughs) best man for that fake wedding. So that was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a lot of cool stuff since then. And, uh, and it's been good. And so, with you being on the podcast, you are also the first co-host that I have that is also married, which is uh, going to bring a unique perspective to what you have to share today. And now, um, now you haven't been married your whole life, right? Absolutely not. No. No. Okay. No. So, uh, so you were born single. You did have a lot of yes. lifetime yes. experience in being single. Okay. So, so you got a lot of value to share and. I remember your adventure going down the coast in a sailboat was <laughs> that had to be the coolest thing. And I'm, I was, I was watching, you know, as you were updating us on different things. And that was so like, what can you tell us about that adventure? Like what all did you guys do? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I guess before I jump into that, I just, just for the listeners, you know, uh, when Tom says, you know, I, I was single, I wasn't always married. Um, Kind of like the, what everybody says is like, you know, use your 20s to really experience things. And I didn't get married until I was 29, you know, almost 30 years old in some ways. And so, like, Mm -hmm. my 20s really were all about being single and living a life on my own. And so, I feel like I have, you know, had a lot of really great experiences in that time. And it does translate over into marriage eventually. But going back to what you were asking about that sailboat story, um, that really was probably one of the highlights of my 20s in a lot of ways. Um, You know, everybody talks about having the adventure of a lifetime or just going out and doing something random. I think a lot of people used to think I was pretty impetuous, um, but I never considered myself that at all. Contrary to popular opinion, uh, it would seem as though I would do things, you know, fairly rashly, but I had taken a lot of time to think about things before I would act. And when I made a decision on something and I did it, I just did it. Nobody was getting in my way and everybody would just think, you're such a bullheaded freak. You know, you just don't listen to anybody. And that just wasn't what happened. And so six months prior to this boat trip, it was presented to me as an idea. And I was like, that actually sounds like a pretty cool idea. I might actually do that. And at the time I was, I had moved back to my parents' dairy farm to help my dad. Things just weren't really going very well on the farm for, um, you know, several different reasons. And so it just seemed like a perfect opportunity to 
kind of change gears. And so I basically like left my job, um, sold my truck that I had and boarded shit basically <laughs> with a couple of buddies. Well, one buddy, one friend, and then two of his college friends who became friends of mine, obviously because you're crewmates and you're the only people around. And so they become like, <laughs> you, they become family in a lot of ways. And so, oh, yeah, definitely they have to. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, I learned so much on that trip, quite honestly, about myself and how to live with other people I didn't know. And also learn how to work with people who are very different than me. Um, because when you're out on the open ocean and things aren't going right, like there's a lot of stuff that can like, can go wrong. I'll just put it like that. And, and so multiple times we were in some scenarios that pretty scary and you really had to be thinking on top of your head and you had to trust people that like you didn't really know. And then also when somebody else was, you know, either sick or hurt or something like that, you had to pick up their end of what needed to be done without any kind of animosity. You know, it was, it's easy to like fall into that rut of like, dude, they're not pulling their weight or, you know, they're, they're the weakest link, but you can't view people like that in those situations because like, honestly, the margin of error is so small when you're in those situations, like you have to be on the tip of your toes. And so from the, the moments of terror that we had and then being able to <laughs> laugh about it later, it, it's great. I got to meet a lot of really cool people on that trip as well. Quite honestly, if anybody wants to meet some really cool people, just go on a boat trip and just go to different harbors and docking places and you will meet some of the coolest people you've ever run into. I mean, I met this one oh, lady. Wow. She was like, mm, she had to be in her 60s. But she was telling me about all of her trips because she was boating and she had been to Antarctica twice already um, for six month mm. stints to do random, like basically volunteered for six months to help with research down there. And I was like, wow, that sounds really amazing. And then, you know, her traveling up and down the East coast and into the Caribbean down to South America and even going straight across to, you know, um, Africa and into Europe all by herself with a dog. That was it. And I was like, wow, this is one of the coolest people I've ever met. And then you meet lots of other people like that too. But yeah. That's, that's incredible. And didn't you, didn't you meet Shaq somewhere along the way? <laughs> I did actually. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we, the, the boat trip started out in Maine and then I actually hopped on in Harbor down in New York city once they got down there. And I went from New York down to the Bahamas because the Bahamas was the end goal. Uh, when we were down in Bimini, it was actually my birthday. And we nice. found out that Shaq was going to be on the island at the resort end, though. And so we were we were poor, broke, you know, single dudes. And so we were, we were way out on the other end of the island. Not that the <laughs> other end of the island is really that far. It's like maybe a mile long, Bimini or something like that. Maybe a little bit more than that. But like you were like, we are definitely going to that party tonight. <laughs> so <laughs> we 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 got in, and I remember Shaq was up on a stage, and he was you know hyping up the crowd and whatever. But there was obviously like bodyguards around, and there was people in line trying to get pictures with Shaq. And 
I just remember like looking at my friend Ryan and like, I'm going to get up on that stage. And he's like, yeah, man, you go, yo. I think he thought maybe just to go get a picture. But at that time they had like closed off any access to Shaq anymore. Cause I think at that point he was a little bit past his, like uh, he'd had a few too many drinks <laughs> and not that I was, you know, I wasn't getting sloshed and neither of my friends, we were just there for the experience. Cause we were like, there's Shaq and we just wanted to be there. And it's my birthday. So it was like, let's just make this kind of like my quote birthday party, you know? And so <laughs> I, I snuck over to the side of the stage and I was looking around, the bodyguards weren't watching. And so I just ran under the red, you know, the, the little rope that they had there and ran up on stage and my friends, Ryan and Matt were there and they, I could still see their faces. They couldn't believe I'd done it. And I ran over there and I just started like dancing on the stage next to Shaq and threw my phone out to my friends. It was like, start recording, start recording. Uh, it was like pretty much like the craziest thing that I have done, like when it was like <laughs> somebody record me, if that makes sense. Like, cause I was never like, Hey man, you want to record me while I do this kind of stuff. But this was like one of those moments as I like, capture this on film, like right now, because I knew yeah. it wasn't going to last very long. Anyway, he's recording. All of a sudden he hit him the bodyguards, you know, they grab me, they throw me off the stage, but I felt like I had accomplished <laughs> the mission at that point. I was like, I literally slipped past the bodyguards when there was like three of them standing there. I don't know how they missed me, but I, I did it anyway. And so oh, wow. after they threw me off, he Shaq jumped off and was dancing with me anyway. It was like, <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's well, excellent. He followed me off anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's so cool. And I love hearing about that adventure. And and I like how you talked about how you you used your twenties a lot for for adventure. And as I say, seizing the day, maximizing every chapter in your life. And I feel like I feel like you maximize your your single life pretty well. Would you agree with that or, or how would you feel in that sense? Yeah, I would say I, I don't look back on my single life with any real regret. Um, I think that there's a tendency for people to do that. Like, Oh, I should have used my single life better. I should have done this. I should have done that. And I think, uh, for myself that I, you know, I don't, want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back or anything like that. But I think I had kind of figured some things out early on that were going to help me. And one of those things was mentorship. And so in my 20s, I had the fortune of being around a couple older gentlemen who I really, really appreciated. I got to know them pretty well. And hearing their stories, one person was um, he grew up in Israel. He was an Armenian, came over to America and kind of forged his path here. And the other guy was just a pastor who had been on the West Coast for most of his adult life and then moved to Georgia to a small church and had been pastoring there. And so after getting to know both these guys, I was like, you know, they really have a lot to offer me when it comes to wisdom. And one of the one of the verses that I think about that comes to my mind is Proverbs thirteen twenty, And it says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And yeah, absolutely. I, after I, I went to three years of a Bible school and basically right from then, uh, it took about a year, but then I went and started working in that jail that you were mentioning. 
and uh, nothing will give you a crash course on bad decision making than being around people who are getting locked up for breaking the law. And now this isn't me trying to point out saying like every person that gets arrested is an idiot or they deserved what they got. Honestly, there's if I'm being uh, as transparent as I can, I think that there are some things that really should change when it comes to law enforcement and how okay. things can be handled. But that's another topic, and I don't have any animosity towards the police. Believe me, I'm definitely like I, yeah. I think that there's a lot of respect that those people deserve because they do do a pretty they do a job that doesn't get a lot of thanks. And I don't know if anybody listening experiences that on a daily basis, but if you go into work and you don't feel like you're valued, you don't really want to be there. Like you don't want to be helping people. You don't want to serve the people that you're, you know, you're working for. And so just kind of put yourself in those shoes where you, you know, you suit up, you go into work and you're just trying to do the best you can and try to make someone's experience better than it already is. And the last thing, and then on the next thing they want to say to you is like, man, when I get out, I'm going to kill you or, Hey, you know, you better watch your back because I'm going to tell these people, you know, they'll be looking for you or, you know what, I don't care what you say. I just think you're trash because you're in law enforcement and it, it really has a way of like getting at you eventually, you know, everybody goes in, I'm not going to have that problem. Yeah, right. Like give it about three months of that and you're just kind of like, you, it's easy to get jaded if you're not careful. And so with that said, I realized looking around me that it wasn't just those who were getting locked up. It was even the people who were working there or even just in general people out in the general populace that there was a lot of people making a lot of bad mistakes and I just didn't want to be those, you know, I didn't want to be counted as one of those people, I guess. And so I just figured like, you know what, it's better if I just find someone who has done all the things bad or who has seen a lot of experience or had a lot of experience, I should say, and get their opinions on things and learn from them how they became successful where they're at in life. How did you do what you did? What are some things that you were able to overcome that I might be able to learn from you so that way I don't have to you know, forge my way all by myself? I think there's something to be said for, you know, just diving into something and learning and growing as you do it. But why, why would you want to make the same mistakes as everybody else? If you can avoid them and just like skip that trial period, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely with you on that. I mean, I, I wish I discovered a long time ago, the power of mentorship because as yeah. we're younger, we're not as wise, we're selfish, we're arrogant, you know, and I'm, I'm extremely prideful. And so we'll, try to find our own way, but the sooner we're able to understand that, you know what, there are some people that have been through what we've been through and have a lot of wisdom to share and seeking out someone that can mentor is huge. You know, I look at, I look for men who are where I want to be, whether it's uh, financially in, uh, well, I, I try and, I try and get the whole package. I want to see men that are healthy in their marriage, healthy in their relationship with God and in a good financial 
position as well. So that way in, in all those areas, they can guide me in the footsteps and the decisions that I make. And, and having multiple mentors allows me to gain some reinforcement on, on certain opinions as well as get a, maybe a variety of opinions on certain subjects. And, and it's good to hear from, from multiple people as well. So, so you had mentors like through your twenties for the most part. I did. Yeah. Basically, um, I, I would say I had about three different people who two on a much more regular basis. And then one who became a much more regular mentor of mine later into my twenties after basically I would say after trust had been gained and a, a relationship had been forged because a lot of, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea of what mentorship is. Like mentorship is really built, like built on trust. Like we, yeah. one of the things that's really, really sad to me is when I see slogans like um, challenge authority and that kind of uh, mindset where there's like, and I, I understand a little bit where they're coming from, but the, like the dismissal of people who are older than you, who have been there, done that. It's like, I don't need to listen to you. You know, you don't have anything to offer me kind of thing. I'll figure it out on my own. Like, it's really sad because it breeds a distrust between generations, that kind of mindset. Yeah. And so, um, but real mentorship does come when trust is gained. Like you, you build a relationship and you, and you feel like you can be vulnerable with somebody. You can talk about things that you probably normally wouldn't talk about with other people. You can bring up things and feel like they're not going to judge you for like, oh, wow, you figure you can't believe you haven't figured that out yet. Or, wow, that was really dumb. What were you thinking? And um, mm-hmm. and you feel like you're in a safe place with somebody who will listen to you and not just like tell you what to do. Um, and I think that's well, – I, I, I'm assuming because you worked with youth before and – yeah, uh, and I I'm assuming that that's kind of like what you ran into is like young people. I mean, they may not say it, but they're really they're really looking for people to listen to them and hear them. Yeah, and I'm sure you have a lot of experience in that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and it is very great being able to be that person that they can look up to. And and I know I had had some mentorship as well as I was leading Young Life, but then, you know, you you get beyond that where you don't have a structured way of mentorship and mentoring, and and then it's like, how do you apply that? Because you know, with Young Life, it's it's so structured, but then then moving on, it's like, wh- what do I do? And so you know, you you go into the next steps in life, and you know, I, I was married, you know, five years before I was like, you know what, I. I really should focus on having mentors and and surrounding myself with that. I think it's it's important in every stage of life finding someone who is somewhere ahead of you whether it's, you know, a generation, a couple generations, wherever. They have a lot of wisdom that they can share with you. Of course, pick the right mentors. Don't pick someone that uh, yeah. <laughs> is not uh in, in the right mentality or not where where you would like to be personally, but that's that's right. definitely very important and and especially even in singleness, having somebody mentor through that and having that type of relationship with someone, I think that's that's very important. Like when you were single, you always came across as as far as the, the time period I've known you to be very content with where God had you and what he was doing. Do you feel that's that's actually how you were feeling or did you feel different internally or did you go through different cycles and stages in that? Sure. 
Um, I think some people are pretty good at putting on a good show for people. I might be one of those people. All Um, right. (laughs) Just a little confession there. I I think for the most part, I was pretty content, but there were just like everybody. There are times when you really do struggle. Like there were times where, you know, for the most part, I seem kind of, I can kind of seem like a blank slate and just kind of unemotional, but there were nights where I would just go out by myself into like the park. I lived away from everybody who was my family. You know, I was in an area where I didn't have very many friends. And so I would go out to the park by myself at night sometimes, just lay down on the bench and just be like, dude, what is life? (laughs) And what am I doing? I have no idea like where I should be going because like, at that point in life, you know, I, I knew I was doing what I should be doing, but I didn't feel really fulfilled in it at that point. And there was some real struggles because I think it's really easy for younger people to look around and then see people who really feel like they have a bead on what they're supposed to be doing. Like they're going gung ho for it. They're working at it. And here I am. I, you know, I feel like I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, technically in, in some people's eyes, like law enforcement is a good career to be in, you know, I'm making relationships. My end goal was actually to be a detective. At one point I was, I ran into somebody who was very well connected and had a chance at secret service. Okay. And I turned it all down eventually. But with that said, I, I just, I, I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad was, you always need to be a hard worker. You need to, there's no, you know, basically if you don't work, you don't eat kind of mentality and you can't Mm -hmm. be immature. You have to be working towards the end goal of being a role model. And, and I just felt like I, I wasn't. And so stuff that happened early on in my childhood had caused me to feel like I wasn't enough. And that's something I found out later in my twenties that I was like dealing with these like subliminal messages that had been given to me and I kind of latched onto them. And so like, I was always trying to prove my worth to people. And, and when you, even though you feel like you're doing really well, when you think inside, like I should be doing more, like I could be better than this right now. It has a really like negative impact on what's going on in your mind. And so you play mind games with yourself. (laughs) And so I can just remember just being really, really frustrated at times just because it wasn't the fact that I was single. It was the fact that I didn't like feel like the path I was on was leading me anywhere. And uh, that's one of the other things. Leading you anywhere in which sense? So like, I guess I, I felt like I was more on a dead end. If uh, One of the things I really hated was the idea that um, my life was was a, was identified by a career that I was going to choose. Like, I, I think it's kind of an older generation type of person that would kind of enforce this idea that you have to go get a career because if you don't have a career, what are you? And... I really hated that because to me having a career always felt like such like such a ball and chain. Like the idea of like having to ask people for days off is just the worst thing in my mind. 
I, and that was mm-hmm. one of the reasons, I mean, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons I kind of left law enforcement. I mean, the other thing is I don't really do very well with people telling me what to do all the time. And, yeah. and so I really struggled with that because I can remember telling somebody that I, honestly, in the end, I just want my life the way I want it. I don't want it the way other people want it. So there was like this power struggle. There's a power struggle of who I was and then what other people were expecting from me. And so when I say I felt like I was leading to a, like a path to nowhere, it was because I felt like I was living my life for other people at that point, instead of for what I really felt God wanted me to do and wanted to be in. And so, you know, I really felt like God had kind of shown me in his own way that I was supposed to be a little bit more ministry minded and my life should be more in that avenue, but I didn't really know how that looked. I mean, ministry is such a broad thing, and it's still something I'm, you know, kind of finding my way in. I mean, there's lots, like, I have done lots of youth work. I've been able to help different churches out, and, but I I think at that point, it was just, I was confused, honestly. It's probably the one thing in my my 20s that I struggled with the most is, just feeling confused and frustrated. Not that I was single, like I said, but just like the trajectory in my life didn't really feel like it was on an upward plane at that point. It just kind of felt stagnant. Okay. Even in the midst of that, the thing that I felt like kind of kept me from kind of just losing my edge, if that makes sense, is like two things that I I noticed and kind of picked up from based on the mentorship that I had been receiving is that there's basically like two ditches that singles find themselves in. And I tried to do my best to avoid them. It's nobody's ever perfect, but one ditch is being distracted too much. And two is being too focused on themselves. And so the distraction is, I mean, it, if there's anything that young people are right now, it's distracted in a lot of ways. You know, I think, uh, one thing that we would all agree is that social media is like the scourge of humanity at this point. And yeah. uh, like I said, I was never really one for social media, so I never kind of got hooked on it. But I see how it's really, really affected so many people, not just young people, you know, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you, you name it. They're, they're part of the problem. And so what happens is people get so caught up with all the distractions around them that they become incredibly unproductive, whether it's social media, video gaming, just anything. And then the other side is if you're not being distracted, you're so focused on yourself that you're thinking about what am I going to do? What do I want people to think of me? What am I accomplishing? And so that was the one, like, that's kind of like, I was so like focused on what everybody was thinking about me and what I wanted people to think about me as well, that, it was it was hard for me to get my eyes off myself and start look like focusing in on other people because i think personally if you can find a way to serve like you're going to find that your life has a lot more purpose if you're too distracted you're not serving other people because you're distracted and if you're so focused on yourself you just become like the most one dimensional person that you can be And I think even like if we study our our scriptures, the most dynamic places in scripture 
are when people are serving other people. And Christ was the most dynamic of character of them all. And who was he? He was the servant of all. And so I think that as I kind of got through like the, my mid twenties, I kind of found that groove of like, okay, this isn't all about me anymore. And I really just kind of need to start focusing more on what's happening around me and the people in my life and make connections with people because the more isolated you are, the more unhappy you become. And do you think that your attitude towards service and taking away from that self-centeredness, do you think that was vital in preparation for marriage and where you are today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think probably the the thing that prepared me the most was getting to that way. Like you said, I got my eyes off myself and really kind of started connecting with the people around me because my tendency was to be pretty introverted, to be um, kind of an isolationist by nature. Like I, I really, like one of my downfalls is feeling like I don't really need anybody's help and I don't really need anybody around. You know, I'm the guy that would much rather sit all by himself in an office studying on things and being like, who's bothering me? You know, and, <laughs> um, or, or, you know, I was the guy that would go to movies by myself. I was the guy to go eat out by myself. I didn't want friends to be with me when I did those things. It was just like, almost like uh, a nuisance to have them come along. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it, as bristly as I was, it was always interesting to me to see how many people still wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> and, um, but that segued into at that point when I, when I stopped being so selfish is when I, I was able to run into my wife in a lot of ways. Um, at what had happened is I decided to take my, my focus off myself in what I was doing in law enforcement and it kind of as an act of service, go back to my, my parents' farm to help him. So I was living in Georgia at the time down in Atlanta area, moved all the way back to the Catskills of New York. And a lot of people were not okay with that decision. I'll just make it real clear. Like there were some yeah. people who thought I was being really, really stupid. And if you looked at the situation, it did look like you're going into like, you're kind of going in reverse. And, but I just knew like that's after talking to several people and praying a lot about it, I just knew that's what I needed to do. And so, you know, I went back home and the very next day is kind of when I met my future wife at church. And I think that was like one of my biggest growing experiences where I kind of like died to myself, if you want to use that term. Like I kind of okay. like I had this idea of what I wanted my life to look like. And then I just went right back on it because I knew there was people who needed me more than I needed what I wanted. And in doing so, it put me in a position to really start looking around at the people who were, were near me. And so then I, you know, was able to connect with my future wife and in conversations with her found that, okay, this is someone who actually thinks a lot like I do. And I guess like one of the things for me that kind of helped me when I was single was I never looked at like having a relationship as like this super emotional, like, Oh man, 
this is like, I can't believe I feel this way kind of thing. I was okay with being single because I never met anybody who I felt like was going to help me get where I was trying to go in life. And I, you know, that sounds really transactional and stuff to some people. I understand that. But to me, like if I was going to commit to somebody for the rest of my life, I wanted to make sure that that person was really on the same page with me and we were going to both be really good at helping each other accomplish the the things we wanted. And so if I felt like that person, no matter how good that person was, was like going to hold me back in any way, it was sayonara. Like I didn't, I didn't want to entertain it. And so there was, you know, just like every young person, everybody comes when you're young and you're getting into your late twenties, everybody's out to be a matchmaker for you. And everybody's throwing out names Mm -hmm. at you. You should be considering this person. Hey, I just met this really good person. You should meet them. And it's like, I'm really, really glad you're thinking of me. But honestly, I couldn't care less. Like, I don't think they're, <laughs> I, I really don't think that this person is going to help me get where I'm trying to go. And so I think because of how like self-focused I was at one point in my 20s, I would never would have been a good husband. And because marriage is all about being selfless and look like really paying attention to somebody else and what their needs are. It's, you know, you have to go into marriage, you know, everybody's like, it's a 50, 50 thing. No, absolutely not. It's 100, zero. Like you give 100% and you have to expect to get zero back. You know, if that's not your, your realization of what marriage is, you're going to be really disappointed because like, if you try to put on any kind of expectation that that person has to, have a give and go with you the like the relationship becomes strained because if, if that's what makes it so transactional and so when I, when I was able to just like learn how to just say you know what I don't care if I get nothing from this I'm just gonna do that that's I think what kind of propelled me into a place where I began becoming somebody who was of you know any kind of quality to be a husband I'll put it that way Okay. Yeah, and that's really cool. I don't cool. know if that answers your question or if that makes things <laughs> more confusing, but No, but I think that it that explains it very well in the sense that, you know, I, I, I've seen your journey. There's a lot of internal things that I've never been able to understand on, on where you are and where you have been internally in a lot of situations and, and that aspect of, of being a servant, giving one hundred percent, that's that's so vital. And and oftentimes I feel like people and and I and when I say people I mean like me myself when I was much younger you know looking for that person to complete you and you should be looking for someone that doesn't complete you because God completes you we need someone that that can complement us and be headed in a direction of where we want to go and having a selfish attitude of you know what what's in it for me that is something that needs to completely go by the wayside we need you know, the Lord commands us to be servants and to lay down our personal desires and follow him. And that's certainly translatable going into marriage. And, you know, as, as we're getting close to wrapping up, is there anything else that you feel that you personally would like to share, say, you know, to your former self or to somebody that is single, maybe having some struggles or, or in the same situation that you are? You were that you were in. Yeah, sure. So if I was to say something to a young person, 
it's to have them know that none of us are perfect. Like, sure, I just got done talking about like having good mentorship and not making mistakes. Guess what? We all make mistakes. And I wish mm-hmm. that there were things that happened in my 20s that didn't happen. You know, I wasn't a squeaky clean like person all the time. I made mistakes that I, you know, you wish you could press the rewind button on. And one of the passages of scripture that I, I love, absolutely love in the scriptures is from Hosea and it's in the 14th chapter. And in that chapter, God is describing Israel and Israel has been subjugated by other countries because they had sinned and God sent them into captivity and he's talking about bringing them back. And in, in the analogy, he's talking about Israel. They're going to grow like lilies and then they're going to be beautiful like olive trees. And if anybody knows what olive trees are, they're anything but beautiful. They're just about one of the ugliest trees out there. They're really scraggly. They don't look bright green like you would see here in deciduous forest, you know, forests in the northeast and but the the picture is sometimes our our young lives can feel like a big mess and we feel like we've messed up so much that we're useless. Like we have a lot of things, a lot of baggage. But what God was saying in that to Israel was you're not as beautiful as lilies, like something super pretty to look at. You're beautiful like olive trees because you're still so productive. Olive trees can live for hundreds and hundreds of years and still produce vast amount of olives. So you can still be beautiful and productive and useful, even if you look gnarled and have something that's not like uh, you would put on a postcard, if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us feel like we're damaged goods. And because like, Oh, I made this bad mistake. God can never use me. Absolutely not. Like, God can use anybody. And so no matter what your journey looks like, is if you submit to, hey, I just want to do what God wants me to do, you are just the next candidate in line that God is like, man, I've been waiting for somebody like this. And so, yeah, I think that that and, um, you know, I, I think just kind of goes back to what I had kind of touched on in the beginning, which was, you know, s- surrounding ourselves with good people. If you want to have any kind of idea of what you should do, just like everybody, you know, very cliche, read the Proverbs. You know, the <laughs> one verse in the Proverbs that I love is uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. And I, you know, I love your love your single life, obviously, but realize that so long as you're diligent and really look to serve other people, you're, you're going to find that that propels you into places that you hadn't even entertained in your mind yet. Okay. I really like that. That's really good. And I always think of Proverbs, what comes to my mind is, is professional verbs. So it's, it's <laughs> verbs for professional application. So it, it's so good stuff. You can never read Proverbs too many times. It's, it's something I highly recommend. And do you have so I know you've already mentioned a few verses and I always ask every guest about a verse you'd like to share. Have you already shared it or is there another verse you'd like to share that's been on your heart, on your mind 
And if we covered it, that's totally okay because you really you provided some some great scriptures to us already. Um, I don't know if there's anything that I've been really focused on. I guess uh, I I focus on scripture quite a lot, honestly, mainly because I you know do teaching every once in a while. So it, that's kind of a tough question, honestly. I think one thing I've been okay. think a, a broad like topic I've been thinking about is the preeminence of Christ from Colossians. So that's kind of like most on my mind at this point, but yeah, gotcha. that and, um, uh, there's, I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's, uh, a passage that just went over on Sunday in church. I wasn't the one teaching it, but it really struck home to me was that in Isaiah, when Israel didn't know what to do, the phrase was that God was going to take his right arm and uh, protect them. And so, mm-hmm. like, the idea, like, wow, God is just going to do the work for me. No, 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 don't take that wrong in that, like, we don't have to do anything. But, like, there are going to be times where God is going to be like, and my strong right arm will be the protection for you. And so it was just a really beautiful thought. That's great. Thanks so much for for sharing that. And uh, is there any way that me and the listeners can be praying for you, Bobby? I would say for myself, uh, my wife and I are looking at a new avenue of ministry, possibly. And okay. uh, those kinds of transitions are never like for the faint heart. I'll put it like that. Being in ministry is yeah. is really great. At the same time, being in ministry is a lot of work. And mm-hmm. so the idea of transitioning can be scary sometimes, especially when you feel like you, you're kind of in a groove where you're at. But when the Lord's calling you to something, you you kind of have to take a pause and reevaluate and see if like, okay, am I just not seeing this from God's lens? And then when you take time to pray and you go, well, this doesn't really seem like where I was heading, but let's, we're out, we're always on an adventure with the Lord. Right. And so here we go. Absolutely. This is the proverbial sailboat trip down the East coast, <laughs> if that makes sense. So. All right. Yeah. We'll definitely be praying for you. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been awesome talking with you and, uh, and all the great value you've had to provide. So everybody out there, hope you get out there and seize the day, maximize every chapter in your life. See you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Thriving in Singleness podcast. Look for new episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.